Amen. Well, we are in uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 8, and I did want to just, uh, just as I share with you, just to give you an idea as to what's going on here. You know, as Paul was speaking, he was speaking to a, a Jewish audience, and uh, what he was sharing with them is he was showing them how great Jesus is. And we know that the Jews, as we're going to be talking much about the temple today, how the Jews were thinking about returning back to their religion. How the Jews were, you know, these Jewish Christians, they were thinking about abandoning their new faith and going back to religion. And for us, I think that's pretty common, isn't it? Because I think most of us, we came from a religion, didn't we? We came from a religion based on do's and don'ts, didn't we? On the things that we should do and the things that we shouldn't do. And what the Lord was doing here with these Jewish Christians is that He was revealing Himself in a much greater way. You know, many of us, you know, we knew of Jesus before in our religion, right? We had heard of Him. And we knew His name. Just like you know many of your neighbors, right? You know neighbors two blocks away, you know them by name, but we don't know them personally. And this is what the Lord desires of us, to know Him personally. And one thing that we know is that if you and I are drawn to Him, I want you to know one thing, that He will reveal Himself to you in a much greater way. I'm going to read a scripture to you. It's from Proverbs 8.17. It says, I love those who love me. And these who seek me diligently will find me. See, the Lord wanted to reveal himself to these Jewish Christians. Just like he wants to reveal himself to us. So that we can know him. Not just by name, but to know him personally you know, and as we think about this, the Lord desires this in all of us. It is His will that, that we know Him. He wants us all to grow in His grace and His knowledge in who He is. This is God's will. God's will is not to keep Himself from you, but God's will is to reveal Himself to you, that you would know Him, that you would have that personal relationship with Him. God is so seeking to have an intimate relationship with each and every one of you where you know all there is to know about Him because He knows all about you. He wants it to be mutual, not just one-sided. With that, I want us to begin to read in, from Hebrews 8 and in verse 1. It says, Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And again, as a reminder, he wants these Jewish Christians to know him in a greater way, in ways that they didn't know him before. And, and so what he reveals is the writer is saying, you know what, this is the main point. The writer's telling them, you know what? I've been talking to you about this high priest, and I want you to listen you know, I know that you know that Jesus, you heard of Jesus, you knew of Jesus. You know, it was all during this time, people knew about Jesus. They heard about his crucifixion. They had heard that, you know what, his body couldn't be found. And they heard about, you know what, that he ascended into heaven. 
And we have historians that have written about this man, Jesus. Jesus Christ existed. He is a real person. And what he's saying is that this Jesus Christ, he is a great high priest. He's greater than any other priest that they knew. And they knew of Aaron, right? Because the temple at the time, it was there. And they saw Aaron. And they saw all the high priests. So they knew the office of the high priesthood. And so the, the Jew, I mean, so the writer is telling them, you know what? This high priest, this man, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he's like no other. And you know where he's at? He's at the right hand. The right hand of God. He is in the heavens. You know, as it says there, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. See, and as we think about this, you know, when it came to the temple and when it came to the tabernacle that was within the temple, did you know that they didn't have seats there for the high priest? You know, there were no seats there for any of the priests. And the reason why there was no seat for the priest was because they were constantly working. See, there was no time for them to rest because they had to keep working and working, serving the Lord. Remember, they had the candlestick there. They had to make sure that all the lights on the candlestick were burning bright. They had the table of showbread there. They had bread there that they had to keep changing every week. And they had the altar of incense, right? They had to make sure that that incense was constantly being burned and sent up to the Lord. So every day they had to minister and then they were doing sacrifices, right? So all of this, they never had rest. And so now Jesus, I mean, uh, the writer of Hebrew reveals about Jesus that he's sitting. And why is it that Jesus is sitting? Because the work has already been done. See, this is what's so amazing. And for them, they don't see it. They weren't looking at it this way. See, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, and when he said, you know what, Father? And he told everyone, it is finished. The work was done. See, for us as Christians, there's no more work for us to do. We don't have to work out our salvation. It just comes by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and we rest in that. And we allow him to begin to take over, to transform us, to cleanse us, to make us more like him. See, Jesus is sitting now at the throne of majesty. And as we keep reading in verse 2, it says, A minister of the sanctuary and of the tr true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. Ministry, the ministry of the sanctuary. What is that? That means that he's, you know what, that, that the Lord, he serves in the sanctuary. And I'm going to explain this to you in a different capacity because we're going to talk about this in, in a few. But I want you to know, as it says there, that he serves in the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not by man. So the tabernacle that he's talking about that God erected, it's not made by man. See, the temple and the tabernacle where they worship God, where the high priests were, that was made by man. But the writer is saying, you know what? The Lord is in a greater tabernacle 
He's on one that is not built by man. I want to talk about this. Does a copy ever compare to the real thing? You know what? When I was young, and they don't have this today because I'll share why. But when I was young, I used to love building model planes and model cars. You know, I would get the glue and, and read all the instructions and put them all together. And then you'd paint some of them and put the stickers on them. And, and at the end of it, you'd look at it and you'd be all proud of the work that you did. But it never compared to the real cars, to the real train, uh, planes. You know, and as we think about this, even today, right? They don't even have kids, kids uh, building model planes, right? They give you not die-cast models, right? But these die-cast models... They don't even compare to the real thing, do they? They don't function like the real thing. See, and this is what the writer's trying to say, that the tabernacle was only a copy of the real thing. It was only a shadow of the real thing. You know, what's amazing is when the sun is setting or rising, there's a shadow that the, that the sun puts upon, that places upon this place, right? As, it, as it's on the side of the building, you see a shadow on one side. It's not the real thing. And that's what the writer's trying to tell him. You know what? This, the one that man created, it's not the real thing. But there is a real one that is in heaven. And do you know that the heavens did not come just into existence? But do you know one thing about the heavens that God created the heavens? It was him that created them. He's always existed. Jesus Christ was you know, he always existed. He came in the form of a man, but he always existed. And guess who it is that built, that, that created the heavens? It was Jesus himself. Let's turn to Colossians 1 so I could show this to you. In Colossians 1, in verse 15. In Colossians 1, verse 15, it says there, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And he's talking about Jesus, okay? For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. So Jesus Christ created everything that you see here on earth and everything that is in heaven. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Imagine that. See, this is Jesus, and this is the one that is now sitting on the, on the throne of majesty as he came onto earth, as he died, and then he rose again. To sit there and now to do something new, something different. And we're going to talk about that. Let's go back to Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 8, as we read in verse 3, it says, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. So as we think about this, right? As I mentioned earlier, all the high priests, right? The Jewish high priests is what we're talking about. Those that were in the temple, those that were in the tabernacle, 
they always they were appointed to work. As I mentioned to you, they had something to do because Jesus Christ hadn't been there and they were working. Jesus Christ hadn't given himself, hadn't offered himself where we can rest in his finished work. So everything that they did pointed to the Lord. But what these priests were doing is they were offering sacrifices. These priests were offer, offering sin sacrifices, guilt sacrifices, trespass sacrifices, burnt sacrifices, and peace sacrifices. These were offerings that were given to the Lord to cover their sins and to allow God to, to, to have fellowship with them. And it says there that they offered gifts also, right? The grain offerings that they gave to the Lord. And these are all things that we've been talking about on Thursday. But we know one thing about Jesus. That he is, what, a superior high priest. And if he is a superior high priest, he's going to offer something that is different, something that is better, something that is greater. And as we see here, they were working but as we heard earlier, he sits on the throne and he offers something to us. Let's read and see what that is. In verse 4 it says, For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. See, on earth, the only ones that could be priests, I want you to know this, are those from the tribe or the descendants of Aaron, the Levites. Aaron was a Levite. That was a brother of Moses. So that means that Moses was also a Levite. And those that were chosen to be priests in the temple, the only ones that could do that were Aaron and his sons. They were the only ones that could be high priests. So when Jesus walked on earth, was he a high priest? He couldn't be a high priest because he came from the tribe of Judah. So when he walked on earth, there was no way because the law did not permit him to be a high priest. But how is it that they're calling now Jesus a high priest? Because we went over this last week. He comes from a different priesthood, from the order of Melchizedek. And, G and God himself proclaimed this in Psalm 110.4, and we went over this last week, where it says that, I have sworn that Jesus, my son, is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So he doesn't come from the order of the Levites or the priestly line of the Levites, but he comes from a different order, which is from Melchizedek. But I want you to, I want to talk about something different here because this is the reason why he writes that. That he couldn't be a priest while he was here on earth because, you know what? He could not do it because he came from a different order. But I want to talk about something because none of us know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. You know, some people will say it's Paul. Some people will say it's Barnabas. Some people will say, you know, it, it, it's just other, other writers. But when it comes to Really finding out who it is, we don't know. We can't say for certain. Many uh, believe that it is Paul, and, and I believe so too, but I can't say 100% that that is accurate. So if we don't know who the author is, we really don't know the time that this 
book was written. But this reveals to us more or less a time frame of when it was written. And as you see, as I keep going on, I'm going to piece it together at the end of this study. But what I wanted to share with you, he says here in verse 4, right? For if he were here on earth, he would not be a priest since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. What the writer is saying that there are priests right now today offering according to the law. So that means that if that was going on at that time, that means that the temple was still up. The temple was still there in Jerusalem. And the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. So that means that if the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70, that means that this writer was writing right before the temple was destroyed. And so we have at least the time frame of that. And let's keep reading in verse 5. Who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown on the mountain. So what we have here is he's saying, you know what? The priests, they, they serve. The priests here on earth serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things. It's not the real thing. The real thing is in heaven. These are only copies. And this is what I want to talk about now, because as we see this, it brings up a different point. How many people yield to creative things instead of the real thing? How many people begin to worship the things that are created instead of the real thing? I want us to turn to the book of Romans chapter 1. In the book of Romans chapter 1, we, we see this. We see what happens to people that worship creation instead of the creator. And it leads to something. And as you're turning there, in verse 20 of Romans chapter 1, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuses. Let me, you know what, I just thought of something, and I'm going to hope enlighten you on something. Do you know that the Jewish calendar, it's not like our calendar. Our calendar is A.D. and B.C., okay? Ours is before the time of Christ, which is the B.C., and A.D. is after his arrival, right? After his birth. Do you know that the Jewish calendar, they go back to the time of Adam and Eve? Did you know that they are right now in 6,000-something A.D.? Which means, I mean, not A.D., 6,000, which means that, and many scientists will tell you that the world has not existed for millions of years. When they look at the world and they look at, at the sun and the moon and how it's just slowly uh, falling apart, that they know that by the dust particles and everything else that the world has not been in existence. For millions of years. And they point back to that it only has been existent, in existence for thousands of years and, and about 6,000 years old. And that's what the Jewish calendar follows. The time of Adam and Eve. But as it says here, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuses. So in other words, everyone... 
as they see creation, as they see the heavens, as they see the trees, as they see everything, they know that there is a God. Something had to put it there. We're not from animals, from monkeys. You know, there's no way that we evolve from monkeys into humans that we are today. There is no such thing as evolution. God created man and he created woman. And those that don't, haven't heard about Jesus Christ, he's saying if they believe in God by the things that they see, they have no excuse because they need to believe it because it didn't come just by circumstance. In verse 21, it says, Because although they knew God and they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for life and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. As the word of God says, and you see this over and over throughout the history of mankind, we move from, uh, from worshiping the creator, which is God himself, to worshiping the things that he created, right? You know what? When I went to Iwasu Falls, and I've shared it with you, there was a tribe there. They were uh, the, uh, I forget which, what they were called. But this tribe that was there, I asked them, I asked the, the people that were there, the the, the indigenous people, I asked them, who do you guys worship? And they said, oh, we worship the sun god. We worship the moon god. And I said, why do you worship those things that are created? Wouldn't you want to worship the one that put it there? And I began to share the gospel about Jesus Christ. And as they received the truth, they said, I said, do you want to receive this, the one that created him all? Do you want to know him personally? And they said, yes, we do. And so I led them into the Lord. And when I led him into the Lord, I asked him, do you know, have you ever heard about the word of God? And he says, no, I've never heard the word of God. And I said, so you don't know what the Bible is? He says, no, I don't know what the Bible is. And so I asked him, I said, can I mail you the Bible? And he said, sure, mail it to me. And I said, can you give me your name? And he says, Jose D. Fernandez. And I thought, you know what, this is in Argentina. I mean, he's an indigenous person there. I said, how do I know that this Bible will get to you? There's lots of Jose D. Fernandez's here. He says, send it to this park, to Iwasu Falls. This is one of the natural wonders of the world. A tribe lives in there. And I said, well, how do I know you'll get it? He says, I'll get it because I'm the leader of the tribe. He was led to the Lord. The man that was worshiping the created things. I want to share this with you. If people worship false gods, their lives will also reflect that because they will live in lies instead of truth. That's why the word tells us, the word of God tells us, Jesus Christ himself said that if you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. If you live in error and lies, you will be enslaved to them. But the word of God sets us free. And who the son sets free is free indeed. That's what we have here. And this is what the writer was trying to tell these Jewish Christians, that they would be set free. You know, they were worshiping what they were doing, this work in the temple. 
Do you know the temple of, do you know that when the Lord ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, you know, after the millennium, peri the millennium period, that the Lord is going to usher in a new heavens and a new earth? See, because we know according to 1 Peter that this earth is vanishing away and it's going to explode. It's going to disintegrate. The Lord has told us that, you know what, this earth isn't going to stay. He says, so why do you hold on to the things of this earth? Everything is going to be destroyed. And the Lord will bring in the new heavens and the new earth. And did you know that in the new earth, there's not going to be a temple in it? You know why? I'm going to read to you. I'm going to read to you from, from Revelation 21, verse 22. It says there, it says, But I saw no temple. He's talking about the new Jerusalem, the new heaven in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Imagine that where we're going to be. That's where we're going to be with Him forever. There is no need for a temple to be built again. And we're going to talk about this in a bit. So let's go back to Hebrews. I just wanted to share that information with you because it's going to be so critical as to how I finish today. As we go back to Hebrews, verse 6, it says, But now He has obtained a more excellent ministry. He's talking about the Lord. Inasmuch as He is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. See, the writer is saying we have a superior high priest. A superior priest comes with a superior ministry. He says a more excellent ministry. Isn't this what would be expected? He calls him a mediator. How many of you have gone to courts? And when you go to the court, right, they tell you, if you have an offense or somebody has been offended by you or, or you've hurt somebody, and when you go to court, or you go to small claims, they always say, you know what, we're gonna, we have a mediator for you guys here. If you guys want to settle out of court, you know what, we have this for you today. And what does a mediator do? What he tries to do is he tries to bring peace and a settlement, right? That's what he tries to do. He tries to settle your offense, the problems that you guys have with one another. But he calls Jesus Christ the mediator. See, because when you sinned, as soon as you sinned as a baby girl or boy, did you know that you were separated from God? And there needed to be a mediator to bring you back to have fellowship with God. See, Jesus is the goal between, he is the bridge between man and God. That's why in 1 Timothy 2, 5, where it says, For there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is no other mediator. Stop going to priests. Stop going to people. But go to Jesus Christ. He's the only mediator. There's no one else like him. And the writer's telling us and reminding us that he is a mediator of a better covenant. When you think about the mediators today, when we go to people, as the writer explained to us a couple of weeks ago, why do we go to people? Why do you go to priests? Or why do you go to others? They're sinners, aren't they? They fall short just like you do. But not Jesus. He's sinless. 
See, and that's why when we think about these things, he's saying, why do you go to somebody that falls short instead of going to that superior person that can do something about it? These people here on earth can't do anything for you, but God can do it all. You know, and we know that people, we're all sinners. We all fall short. I fall short. You know, I pray that you would all practice to go straight to the Lord when you are in need. If you need counsel or you need direction, you can come to me, but go to Him. He's the man that can solve your problems. I can. I can guide you in His direction, but I can't do it. He receives all glory and honor. I'm just a man. I'm a sinner like you. I'm no different. But He's perfect, He's the mediator. As we keep reading in verse 7, it says, For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. The first covenant that he's talking about are the Ten Commandments, the law that was given to them. Remember the Jews? If they kept that law, then they would receive the blessings from God. Do you know that? If they kept the Ten Commandments and the statues that the Lord gave them, the ordinances that, that the Lord would bless them, and that they would have obedience, I mean, that they would receive blessings from their obedience, and, and God would have done great things through them. But what happened to these people? The nation of Israel sinned, and they began, just like the writer of Romans is putting, to worship the created things. They began to allow the world to creep in and to do the things and to go after the things that the world promotes. And he knew that, that the law, the law doesn't help us to remain good and perfect it doesn't transform us it just condemns us right who here has broken one of the ten commandments i know i have i think I, i've broken all of them and so i know that you know what when i know the ten commandments i'm just like i don't want to do that lord but i do it right and i'm like man this is what happens and the lord said you know what that covenant it was good the law is good don't think that it's not good because it points us in righteousness but it doesn't save us. It just condemns us because we fall short. And because we fall short, that means that what? That we're going to be separated from God. So the Lord says, I need to bring a better covenant. And then let's read what it is. And he's writing here to the Jews. Let's remember that. It says, because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Again, that's where he gave them the law. Because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. They sinned, so I had to disregard them. I had to chastise them. I had to allow the Babylonians and the Assyrians to capture them and to take them into captivity. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins, and their lawless deed I will remember no more. So the Lord is saying, you know what? A new covenant is coming because the first one didn't work. You know, none of them could keep the law, and we saw what happened to them just like us. 
But the new one, the new covenant will be based on a relationship with the Lord. And this is what he goes on to say. God will dwell in their hearts and in their minds. Not one that is based on religion. Because religion doesn't draw us closer to the Lord. Because it all depends on us instead of trusting in the finished work of God. See, in a relationship, we know that God reaches down. In religion, we're trying to reach up and we can never reach high enough. Remember that. And so what he says, he says here, you know what, I'm going to write the laws in their hearts, in their minds. And the only way this could be written is through a relationship when I come to dwell with them. Remember this. When you love somebody, and when you know they love you, don't you do things that please them? Sometimes you may not like it, but you do it anyways, right? Sometimes it's hard to do it, but you want to please them because you love them. You're considerate of them and, and of their needs and of their wishes. See, us, our flesh wars against the Spirit. We don't want to do things that are pleasing to the Lord because it's hard. But see, when you have the Spirit of God living in you, He gives you the power to do it. And you're willing to do it because you love the Lord. This is a relationship that is based on love. And this is what the Lord is telling us now. That my people will have this. And they will know me. As it says, they will know God. Not just by name, but they will know who I am. And then at the end, he finishes there by saying that I will forgive their sin. As they trust and they put faith in my finished work that I did on the cross. See, and we may all be saying, but he's only writing this to the Jews. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek which is for the rest of the people. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So it came first to the Jews, and then it came to who? To us. As we finish here, because I want to get into the subject I've been talking about, I've been sharing with you, going back to Hebrews, let's finish in verse 13. It says there, in that, he says, a new covenant he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The old covenant is becoming obsolete. You know what obsolete means? That it's no longer in use. And it's vanishing away. The old covenant between, you know, keeping the law. And receiving salvation. It couldn't happen. And so he says, you know what? A new covenant has come. And this new covenant that has come, it is here to stay. What was it that the Lord said when he had the apostles, his disciples with him on the Last Supper? Do you remember what he said? I'm going to read to you from the Mark's account in 14. And it says there in verse 22, it says... 
And, they, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. See, the new covenant comes by faith in Jesus Christ. See, by grace through faith, we have been saved. It is not of works, lest any of us should boast. That's in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9. That it is by God's grace that we're saved. And that, gra that grace can only come because of your faith in Jesus Christ. That's how salvation comes. It's for the Jews and for the Gentiles, for the rest of us. Did you know that unless a Jew believes in Jesus Christ, he doesn't receive salvation? He needs to believe in Jesus just like the rest of us. If he doesn't believe in Jesus, if he doesn't surrender his heart, he's not saved either. See, none of us get special treatment. There's no partiality. We're all the same. And to the church, as Paul said, you know, as Paul wrote to the Corinthian church there, he tells them the same thing. He says, For I received from the Lord, this was the Lord speaking to Paul, that which I also delivered to you, to the Gentiles, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This, is, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do all, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. So we see here that we have been recipients of the new covenant. And it only comes through faith in Jesus. Do you remember Nicodemus? He was a priest himself. And he was also saying, you know what? How can I be saved? And the Lord told him, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So for us to enter into the kingdom of God, which he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. That is what we do when we say yes to Jesus. That's what happens to us. We are born of the Spirit. And what's so awesome is that God deposits his Spirit in us to live and to dwell in us, to help us to live lives that are pleasing to him because we can't on our own. That's why he calls them the helper. Going back to the temple, I want to talk about this. See, as I mentioned to you, the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. And this was actually predicted by the Lord. He said that the temple is going to be destroyed, and it was prophesied by Daniel Hundreds of years before that, that the temple would be destroyed. And it was destroyed in A.D. 70. It was destroyed by the general Titus. And what he did is that he says, you know what, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to conquer them. And did you know that every Roman general that conquered, that had a great victory in a battle, do you know what would happen? Is that they would put up a huge monument, monument in Rome to celebrate his victory so that everyone would know that he had a great victory. I was in Rome 
Nancy and I, a few years back, and we saw the monument that was erected for General Titus. And it shows how he destroyed the temple. And it shows how he looted the temple and stole everything from it. This is written in the history books. I share this with you because you need to know that the, the gospel is true. The truth of the gospel is here. And if you want to know about history, it's all here. This is all his story. It's all about him. And he reveals to us, and there are no inaccuracies. The word of God is inerrant, infallible. It is a truth without error. The temple of God. This temple that was destroyed, did you know that there are plans and preparations to rebuild the temple today? They have the plans set up. And they also want to go back to the Levitical order that's doing the, off, the, 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 the offerings, the sacrifices, the gifts. The location of the temple has been chosen. Did you know that by computer, by registry, by going back, they have identified there are 300 sons of Aaron in Jerusalem. And did you know that they are preparing their robes today? And all the sacred vessels are being restored today today this is happening the temple hasn't been built but it will be built and according to daniel chapter 9 the antichrist who i believe is alive today we don't know who he is he hasn't been identified because the church is still here but did you know that you hear all the havoc the chaos going on in the middle east even today, we help, we help the Libyans to dethrone Muammar Gaddafi. And did you know now the Muslims are taking over? And did you know that all the Muslim nations that are there, they're all going to come after Israel? And did you know that this Antichrist is going to bring peace to all of this? He's going to rise to power because he's bringing peace there. Everything you hear about in the Middle East right now, it is just waiting to erupt. That's why we believe God is coming soon. And the Antichrist will bring peace. He's going to bring a peace treaty. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to allow Israel to rebuild their temple. And all of these plans and preparations are going to take place in the Middle East. And did you know that on... The peace treaty that he made for them. It's a seven-year peace treaty because in the middle of that peace treaty, guess what he does? He decides to sit on the throne, the Antichrist. And you know what he says? I am your God. And he's going to demand the world to worship him. The world is going to go in chaos. You think it's bad today? The wrath of God during the tribulation period is going to be horrific. You think things are bad right now when you hear about earthquakes and, and, and tsunamis and, and, and catastrophes and wars and rumors of war? You think that's bad? It's going to be a hundred times worse than that. It's going to be horrific. But when it comes to us, I want to share this with you. When it comes to us, well, before we go there, let's go to 2 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, because we're going to finish up here. 
In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin revealed the son of perdition, this is the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all things that is, above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's going to do this. This is exactly what he's going to do. He's always wanted to be worshiped as God. That's why God kicked him out of heaven, because he had sin in him. But for us as Christians, it says, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, for us as Christians, this is what he does. For those that surrender their life to him, he tells you, he tells us through his word. You know what? He did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. And then he finishes in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to go through this time period. You don't have to face the wrath of God. As he says here, you know what? Be born again of the spirit and live forever with me. See, every single one of us, you know what? All these preparations, we have a greater high priest. He is a mediator, and he offers something greater, the new covenant, which is faith in Jesus Christ. And this is the grace of God that has been poured upon this world, but it will be pulled out as we just read. And that's when all havoc will, will hit this world. And with that, let us close. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your glorious word, Lord. And how you spoke to us about the temple, Lord. And we know that when the new heavens come, Lord, after the tribulation, after the millennium, Lord, when the new heavens come, there is no need for a temple because that is where you are. You are the temple, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your glorious word. And so I pray for those that are here, if there's anyone here that wants to make things right with God, to receive the new covenant, salvation it doesn't come by sacrifices by offerings by any work that you may do it comes through faith in jesus christ if you want to avoid the tribulation if you want to avoid the wrath of god as he says for we have not been appointed to wrath but to obtain salvation if you want this i want you to raise your hand and we will pray for you anybody want to make it right amen 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 anyone else amen amen anyone else before we close it's simple Salvation is simple. It's there for the taking if you want it. Anyone before we close? Lord Jesus, you saw those that raised their hand, Lord. Lord, they're saying, I want you. You knocked at their heart, and they opened their heart to you. And you will come and dwell with them, as your word says. Forgive them of their sins, as we know that you did, as you died on the cross and you paid their penalty. Now empower them by your spirit to live lives that are pleasing to you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We give you praise, glory, and honor, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.